Yeah, even while the systems around them are either helping or advantaging one person or another, that these that the kind of core of the center is still real. And welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script and for our themed month on David Henry Huang. This is the third episode of a four-part series, I guess you would call it. Now, that may be a little more formal than it really is, but we're spending the month of April 2022 looking at four plays by David Henry Huang, kind of from uh, the, the broad spectrum of his career, honestly. Yeah, yeah, we started off the theme month with M. Butterfly. We followed it up last week with Golden Child. And this week we are talking about Chinglish, which is a play of his from 2011. Yeah, but about 10 years ago now, 12, I guess a little more than that these days. Uh, this is this David Henry Huang play came out. And he he's a, you know one of those playwrights that is just producing so consistently. I mean, the other two plays that we've looked at in this series so far are from, uh, you know, much longer ago. And this one is more recent, and we've talked about Yellowface in the past, which is more recent. And then next week, we'll talk about the most recent David Henry Wong text. And all of this spans a career now of 30, 40 years that yeah. is mm -hmm. prolific in his impact. Yeah, absolutely. And continues to be able to be produced and have such relevant themes despite the, you know, scope of the of of his work. And yeah, yeah. So I'm excited to get to kind of uh, build off of our previous conversations and, and engage this conversation about, you know, uh, communication and, and connection between yeah. cultures. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get to get to talk about it. There are some in this play, the structuring of the scenes is so brilliant in its emphasis on communication. I can't wait to talk about it. There are some scenes where the way they're sequenced next to each other is just so yeah. smart. And so <laughs> it, it pays off in his theme and his analysis so well. So we will we will get to that as we do. But first, I, I want to say a couple of things. The first thing is that I am recording from home today due to some unforeseen circumstances so that's just how it's going to be my audio is going to sound a little <laughs> different it shouldn't be awful for you or anything like that but it'll just sound a little different we apologize like about that and we'll be back in the studio next week the second thing is the same thing we say every week which is to invite you to consider becoming a patron of the show over on patreon.com slash no script podcast again that's patreon.com slash no script podcast you can become a supporter of the show a financial supporter of the show there are different tiers the lowest tier is just one dollar a month we feel incredibly lucky in some ways just blessed and others that we are supported by the folks over on patreon this is something that jackson and i love to do we love to talk about scripts to read scripts to to be able to have these conversations that are part of a larger conversation around these uh pieces of literature uh but it's not something that we really would have the freedom to do or the finances to do without the support of those folks on Patreon. So 
If you are one of those people on Patreon who's supporting us, a huge thank you. Your financial support makes what we do possible. We're so grateful. If you're not yet, please consider it. Again, that lowest tier is just a dollar a month, and I feel strongly that you are getting $12 a year of value (laughs) spent if you are a listener of NoScript. So please consider it one more time, patreon.com slash podcast. Hopefully, we will see you over there. Yes, thank you all so much. Those of you who have already become patrons means the world to us. Thank you all very much. We'll see you at patreon.com slash podcast. And now, back to the script. Back to the script. So before Jackson does his context, real quick, I want to say that this is now three plays in a row, and really four if you consider Yellowface, where the origin of the story is a fascinating part of the story so this is just what david henry huang does and i can promise you because i already know the story coming for next week that next week's script is just more (laughs) in this pattern the place david henry huang gets his stories from is they're they're just or the multitude of places really the life experiences that inspire all of his work are just so cool they just make me get excited as an artist all the places he pulls inspiration from yeah yeah no it's 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 awesome to kind of get to hear the stories in interviews that he tells this play came about uh, a chinglish came about um because of a real life uh, lived experience of his uh he began to be invited over to china because china became uh, more interested in broadway shows and so he began to go over there and more and more and he visited an art center uh around 2005 that uh had had just an incredible build incredible uh uh, you know, materials that everything was made of, the best sound system, the best, um, uh, you know, materials that this building was made out of. But the signs were translated into English basically on a computer very poorly. So so there would be just really hilarious uh, differences in the, the Chinese signage and the, the English signage. So, so that sort of idea that his experience going over actually makes it into the script. I won't steal it from the synopsis, but um, makes it into the script and inspired this play of Chinglish about the kind of uh, connection point between two cultures as they try to do business together. Um, This play uh, premiered in 2011 at the Goodman in Chicago. It it was in the summer uh, of 2011. Uh, This play was directed by Leigh Silverman, who also directed Yellowface. Uh, She, uh, 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 David Henry Huang, brought her the play while she was still directing Yellowface, and they kind of continued in partnership into this next play. Um, Like I said, premiered at the Goodman in the summer of 2011 and transitioned to Broadway uh, at the... Long Acre Theater in that fall of 2011 as well. Ran for a number of productions there. The play was nominated for a number of different awards. Um, uh, won the 2011 Joseph Jefferson Award for New, new Work, uh, 2012 Drama Desk nomination for Best Play. Also, like my, my script has uh, from Time Magazine, the best play of 2011. That's not really an official award, but Time Magazine loved, loved the play. Um, <laughs> and it's had a number of notable productions since then. Uh, South Coast Rep and Berkeley Rep. Hong Kong Arts Festival in 2012, uh, the Portland Center Stage in 2014, and also the East Wing Players in 2015, which is the LA, um, uh, uh, LA-based theater. And that that production, interestingly, we've talked before about David Henry Huang and how he continues to 
write. Um, uh, it continues to work on the projects even after they, they have debuted. That uh, 2015 production by the East West Players uh, uh, featured a new ending by David Henry Huang. Um, so so yeah, the, the, the play continues to be done, continues to evolve, continues to have its place in, in theaters and, and, and communities that want to grapple with the, the great themes that are in the play. Yes. So, Chinglish, uh, just that brief kind of summary overview of the play. This is a play about a gentleman named Daniel. Daniel is the owner-operator of a small family business out of Ohio. He is in China to try to pitch the his business to a Chinese market. He has gone to a smaller town in China, not not like a small town, but just not one of the big major cities like Shanghai, Hong Kong, Beijing, etc. So he's he is there to meet with the cultural minister and other folks who are going to help him basically get a contract to produce the signage for an arts center. His Ohio-based family business is this sign-making business, uh, and, and so he wants to be the one that they hire to make all the signs, including the translations, for the new cultural arts center that they're going to build in this sort of medium-sized uh, Chinese city. Does this sound familiar or what from uh-huh. our description? of the real life story and so Daniel the the businessman tells the story from David Henry Huang's real life of going to this other incredibly beautiful arts center with all of these gorgeous fixtures and the best design and this very international view and just how gorgeous it was but the signage is terrible including like the 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 example translation that is like handicapped toilet is translated as deformed man's toilet so really bad translation so daniel uses that as part of his pitch like look what happened at this other art center we can do a much better job in that however he has hired as his not really a translator it's they call it a consultant in the script basically this uh english teacher in china named peter peter's lived in china for a very long time teaches english uh, and he has basically started marketing himself as a business consultant for American businesses looking to get into uh, the Chinese market. Now, interestingly, this is sort of the other inspiration for Chinglish from David Henry Huang's life because DHH's father ran this sort of consultancy business for American companies looking to get into the Chinese market. So this also kind of comes from that real life inspiration. So Daniel has hired Peter to be his consultant and also basically his translator although that's a more informal relationship because what they discover is basically everywhere they go whoever is brought on to be the translator from the Chinese side uh, is a terrible translator I mean like every (laughs) translator every formal translator that they encounter over the course of the script are terrible I mean they they are they do not understand how the the way in which to translate these English phrases especially the idioms with which Daniel often speaks into Chinese So he really relies heavily on Peter to do the translating for him in a more accurate way. All of this is set up by a kind of exoskeleton of the play. And again, I think we should maybe start with that because we've noticed that now in a couple of plays that uh, of, of Daniel giving a presentation at like an American business conference about the Chinese market. And he sort of tells about his experience of getting into it. And the end of this sort of beginning exoskeleton piece is him saying, my biggest advice is always bring your own translator. So that'll tell you something that sets up an expectation, right? About what's going to happen between him and Peter. 
So he he meets with these different Chinese officials and and a lot he gets told that they're very excited about it at some points and they're very not excited about other points and it's all part of this sort of long building of a relationship navigating all the family connections all the sort of insider deals that are being made in this highly uh, highly political uh, corporate environment basically you know he's got to meet with the cultural minister but the most important person that he meets across this series of meetings is the vice cultural minister whose name is going to be pronounced by us as as z z uh we're doing our very very level we're doing best. Our best we believe that's right but if we're wrong we apologize so g is the vice cultural minister she meets with daniel sort of on a back channel she asks him to come to a restaurant after he's had a meeting with the cultural minister and peter that has gone very well ostensibly they seem very excited about his involvement in the project so she invites she she brings him to dinner and she says peter needs to go away they're just going to try to talk the two of them this chinese vice cultural minister and daniel the business owner they're going to try to have a conversation about this now they do not speak each other's languages right. daniel knows almost no chinese at all and she knows a very little bit of english from a study abroad that she did like in sri lanka so you can see the communication is going to be a real struggle um, and so they, they try to have this conversation where basically Xi tries to say, you're not actually in as good a position as you think you are. The cultural minister only seemed excited about it because he owes Peter a favor, but he's not actually going to give you the contract because his sister-in-law is the one who currently has the contract. So this is not really going to go your way. You should be careful how you're using Peter. Peter doesn't really know what he's doing. She's trying to communicate all of this, right, across this language barrier. And basically this sort of thing continues throughout the play. Xi, in these sort of back-channel meetings with Daniel, tries to coach him through how she thinks he should maneuver these political situations. Peter, uh, who is English-speaking but has lived in China forever, right, and so speaks very fluent Chinese, they're always complimenting his Chinese, tries to coach him from his perspective, and Daniel just tries to sort of navigate the muddy waters of this politics world uh the other notable thing that happens is that he and g start to have an affair um and it's uh there, there's actually some highly sexual content in this play comparatively although it, there was an m butterfly too actually now that i think yeah. about it but uh so, so there, that's part of this play too right is that he and g have a romantic affair he wants it to be more serious than she wants it to be towards the end Basically, it all concludes with he ends up firing Peter because Peter sort of blows up. He had expected the co this contract to go through because the cultural minister owed him a favor. And because that was going to go through, then he was going to be a successful consultant for other American businesses. When that doesn't happen, it sort of blows up his temper. So Daniel sort of has to fire him because he didn't behave in a sort of appropriate, respectful way in these meetings. Uh, and then it's revealed that she had a sort of backhanded, uh, you know, uh, motivation in all of this too. her husband husband is a judge by the judge overruling the cultural minister's decision not to hire Daniel's business, which apparently was a bad decision for reasons having to do with the Enron scandal. Uh, all of that sort of complicated <laughs> yeah, level yeah. of stuff. Basically her husband, the judge is now going to get a major promotion too, because he made the right decision. Whereas the other cultural minister made the wrong decision. That's all just sort of the, the little mechanics of the plot. So ultimately Daniel gets 
gets the contract. He and then then we learn as we come back to the exoskeleton business presentation that actually he became a very successful business person in China and is like the major uh, supplier of English to Chinese or I guess Chinese to English signage that needs to be produced for the country. So it had all sort of gone well for him. Um, the cultural minister ends up being arrested for his part in not hiring Daniel, basically. Peter goes back to teaching instead of consulting. Uh, th that's the very broad sweep of the plot. The other thing that's really important to know about the play is that the vast majority of it is in Chinese, uh, spoken Chinese. So English subtitles to the spoken Chinese play a huge role. And often, often, often what is being said is, is and, and what, what we think the characters are saying as they try to communicate actually in English that they no, don't know a lot of, the Chinese characters, and then what they say when they speak Chinese and we see the English subtitles, there's a lot of distance between those things, which is sort of part of the commentary, right? And there's that dramatic irony of knowing what the characters are saying, but the other characters on stage not knowing what they're saying. We could talk about all of that, but just know that's an important feature of this script is that it's in Chinese, a lot of it, and the English subtitles play a role not just in the plot and in the characters communicating to each other, but a theatrical role in terms of dramatic irony and so a lot of humor is used in them. You get to see sort of the characters' inner thoughts, etc. Yeah, it's one of the major vessels of comedy in the play because you get to see, even though it's it, this this play is primarily done for an English-speaking audience, they, that audience gets to be on the inside of both sides of the translation error because they're hearing it in English, so they know they know English, but they also are reading the English subtitles for the Chinese. Um, so so you get to be on the inside of a lot of great translation errors. There's this kind of rotating door of translators that gets brought in to especially the official meetings between the cultural minister. And uh, Daniel and Peter and and G, um, and and over and over these these translators just just don't quite grab it right, <laughs> and and so you get to you get to see the kind of the challenges that come in communicating across cultures. I'm excited to get to talk uh, specifically about communication, but I like your advice to kind of start us with the brackets of this play, which are these scenes, which is a similar similar thing. We 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 just did Golden Child last week, which also started with a bracketed um, scenes. We, we I mean. In, in a way, even uh, uh, M. Butterfly no, kind of has I, some I bracketed scenes. I definitely think it did, right? The, yeah. Why it's been so long now. The characters in M. Butterfly, their names escape <laughs> Just, me, but <laughs> the, the French businessman in M. Butterfly who's narrating that story is in prison, right? And he's telling yeah. his story from prison. Interestingly, though, as a difference between the two we've talked about in this script, in both M. Butterfly and Golden Child, the exoskeleton container of the play um, holds within it a crucial decision for the lead character. In fact, when we talked about M. Butterfly, I recall us saying that in some ways the play doesn't start until like the last six pages right, yeah. when the, <laughs> the French businessman has to sort of confront the reality of what's happened and all of this stuff, right? And in Golden Child, the Andrew character, that's more recent, I can remember the names, uh, he <laughs> is deciding about what they're going to do about having a child now that they're, you know, they're, they're like middle-aged people having their first child. So what are they going to do about that so there's that decision contained in the exoskeleton and that is not so much true in this one this is a much more it's it's not really traditional because both of those things are are traditional theater techniques but this is a much more um i would almost call it bland <laughs> 
<laughs> that might be more insulting than I really mean it to be. But in comparison to the other two exoskeletons, the framework sort of situation where Daniel's at this business meeting in Ohio, there's not a lot going on in it. So, certain, I, I agree with you for the first the first bracket of it. It's kind of like the introduction to the play. Um, I think I think another way besides besides maybe bland to <laughs> to, to, to name the the final scene is it's a little bit more of a fallout sort of scene. Um, you don't you're not necessarily seeing a a decision made in that scene, but rather the consequences of decisions and miscommunications playing out, especially between the relationship between Daniel and Z and the way that they brought different expectations to their affair. Um, you you kind of see the, the ramifications of those expectations in that in that final scene, not so much the first scene because you don't know anything about it yet. Yeah, it's very much a denouement. In, yeah. in the sense that this is now the moment where we learn a lot of what happened to the the characters, but especially to Daniel's business, is when we flash back forward into this present business conference situation, and he, as a narrator for this speech that he's giving, describes what happened sort of in the aftermath of all that. It's a much more, in that way, it is a much more traditional denouement scene. It's also the the scene where we get the title of the play, <laughs> yes. um, which is which is a, an interesting note. The title of the play is the last line of the play in the, in this play. So certainly we like to kind of look at those moments for for some sort of uh, interpretive weight or or, or something uh, that, that that the playwright is 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 uh, landing on in those moments. And and interestingly, the the stagecraft of this moment is really great. He's talking about the over ten thousand of Chinese characters that are in the Chinese language. Language and the stage directions, at least, call for the stage to be kind of lit up with many of those characters um, projected over the whole stage. Um, so, so it is this kind of really interesting moment where you know the name of the play is is said in the context of us having watched these two languages, these two cultures try to collide for the whole play, and it kind of brings home that that, that big theme of communication between them in the final moments of the play. So it, it's that same, you know, that Chinglish word, right? Chinese, English, uh, you hear the interviews. So I'm not I'm not saying anything brilliantly original or anything, right? But it's, it's similar to the word like Spanglish, right? Where it refers to this sort of hybrid English-Chinese method of communicating that David Henry Huang observed both in his father's work uh, in, in terms of consulting for American businesses in China and on his various trips to Asian countries to during the, the course of his long career. And, and just to go back to where we were before to bring it into this context, that those those moments where the um, the projections show us that what the translator is saying is not quite correct or where things are not quite communicated across the language barrier really sort of highlight why this play's title is about, right? The title references the two languages about Chinese and English. There's a great, uh, I mean, all throughout the play, the humor comes through very much so in these scenarios, but there's a great example of it in in one of their first meetings, right? The cultural minister uh, is describing in Chinese with English subtitles. He says, I want uh, Guyang, I guess, or whatever the name of the town is, to showcase the traditional Chinese arts. That's what he says 
because in Chinese and the English subtitles show us that beautifully crafted, you know, very normal sounding sentence. Uh, and then the translator tries to provide that to Daniel in English. And the translator says, the minister enjoys the art, which is old and unpopular. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, the, one of the comments that I, that I, uh, that I uh, saw in the, in the research beforehand was that, you know, this play uh, rotates around a moment where individual nationalism is breaking down and where these, these kind of cultures are having more uh, relationships with each other and needing to find a way to communicate to each other. And the kind of the foibles that come up during that, the misunderstandings that come up during that, and also the, the creativity of these two uh, cultures to figure out a way to talk to each other is on full display in this in this play. You know, you get to see the 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 uh, one of the newer uh, most most plays have uh, some sort of interpretation of stage directions, um, and and this this one has a great one in it where uh, the the carrot brackets are made uh, in the script to like show that the character is like physically trying to act out the word they are saying, <laughs> um, and so that that sort of thing happens often in in the play. Yeah, so I, I I mentioned this at the beginning, and I want to bring it into the conversation now that there this play has some of the best structuring towards making its point that I think you can find. And I'm going to do my best to describe this little sequence that I just think is so brilliant. So the um, Daniel and Peter have met with the cultural minister, MSG, who's the vice cultural minister. They've had their meeting. They appears it's going well, right? Then they get invited to this dinner and only G shows up. And G says, Peter, we need you to leave. So there's going to be no translator. It's just going to be G and it's going to be Daniel. And, and you know, everybody's like, oh no, is this going to go well? Is this not going to go well? And and it's, as Peter is about to leave, Daniel tries to make a joke. He tries to make the mother hen joke, right? Cluck, 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 you're being a mother hen. Get out of here, Peter. It's going to be fine. But Xi doesn't even understand like the, the noise, the cluck noise that he's making to replicate being a rooster because that's not the noise that the Chinese make to replicate the sound of a rooster. So Peter even has to translate this very basic joke and it's like that sets up how badly this conversation right. is about to go. <laughs> and so Xi and Daniel have this very hard conversation. They both work so incredibly hard to get these simple points across in terms of their communication and understanding the complicated political landscape. And they just work and work and work at it. It's a fairly long scene as they try to bridge this language barrier. Immediately following that scene, there are two scenes in a row. The first scene is a scene between Daniel and Peter, where they sort of revisit that whole conversation. And now they're just speaking English to each other. And the level of dialogue that they achieve, especially coming right on the heels of this incredibly complex back and forth, very simplified language, acting out simple words, basic phrases, trying. And then, so then Peter and Daniel come on and they have this highly complex conversation, it feels like. Just in regular old English. And then immediately following that, Xi and the cultural minister have a very fluid, you know, normal, beautiful, complex conversation in Chinese. And then immediately following that, we're back to Xi and Daniel trying to have this, this sort of broken down conversation yeah. when neither of them understand the language. I mean, that sequencing of scenes is so brilliant to see how fluid the language moves in English and how fluid the language moves in 
Chinese one right after another and then to have to come back to this stumbling fence posts in the way trying yeah. grasping trying to have this conversation I mean it's just it's so smartly structured yeah, yeah, to give time to each of of the different cultures to kind of show the the, the them in in their fluidity when when they are in their element, but then when when you're kind of forced to try to to try to bridge the gap somehow, the lengths that they go to to try to communicate. There's all sorts of uh, difficulty of communication, miscommunication, how easy it is to misunderstand each other, either in the language or across cultures, um, or, or you know the concepts like like the the chicken joke or or. Or even like significant like emotions and and concepts around that too like love is something that's brought up quite a bit kind of the only um uh, Chinese that Daniel tries to speak in the play is the phrase is the word love and the phrase I love you um and and because it's a because Chinese is a tonal language um even when he gets the syllables right he doesn't get the tone right what a great scene yeah. So 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 all of the like all of these moments serve as catalyst moments of speaking into how difficult it is to communicate. And and I think the the uh sort of romantic affair that they go on is is a big flagship of that of of the different values that each other puts into romantic love and its connection to their marriages, its connection to each other. Um, there's there's lots of miscommunication there that is kind of slowly brought out as each other learns, well, as mostly Xi continues to learn how to speak English well, and as Daniel kind of tries to learn some, some Chinese. <laughs> yeah, you're giving him a little too much credit, I think. A little, little <laughs> bit too much credit. Learns a phrase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some great, uh, real pointed comments to that end, sort of scattered throughout the script. Like at one point, they're they're Xi and Daniel are at dinner or whatever, and and they're getting frustrated about the language barrier. And finally, Daniel says, "Why are you speaking Chinese?" <laughs> and she goes, "I am Chinese." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Daniel, oh, good point. Good point. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so there's 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 lots of those scenes where where like especially because Xi has so much Xi has a lot of power in this play. Um, Xi um, has has the power of connection for Daniel to the ongoing uh, situation with with the deal he's trying to make. But she's also the kind of go between on communication. She's the only one who is kind of able to leave Peter out of the equation. Otherwise, a line that's said early on is whenever you go into a conversation, be sure to bring your own translator. Um, and, and Peter really does help um, Daniel out in the early parts of the play because he's the only one who, who can hear when the translator that the that has been provided gets it wrong and he weighs in. So as Xi joins in, then that, that kind of adds, adds even more power to her equation because she can speak both languages at least well enough to know when something wrong has been said. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you bring in the translator role that Peter serves. I mean, how else does Peter, like, what is, what is his function as a character in this play besides just serving as a translator? I, I mean, I, he's an interesting character. He sort of goes on his own journey, and, and he impacts the plot mostly in his misunderstandings of the situation. But it, it does feel like sort of from the beginning of the play, Daniel 
had the material at his disposal, other than the, tr- the a, a correct translator, to, to sort of make this work, although he doesn't know it. He doesn't know how fascinated they're going to be by the Enron scandal that it ultimately ends up sort of making his career. But Peter is not like the linchpin to Daniel's success. In fact, he's the he's a hindrance. Yeah, the significant beat that Peter uh, uh, kind of derails the whole thing on around around the misunderstanding with the favor that he was owed and that he was kind of asking for a favor outside of the category that was probably appropriate to ask it out of really derails the process. Um, yeah, I don't think that Daniel really needs Peter. I think the purpose of Peter is to kind of add one more level of perspective and critique into this play because Peter kind of fills this role of a previous generation's approach to um, uh, cultural relations in China. Um, he, he kind of hopes to be this person who has spent a lot of his time there and has learned the culture well enough to to like to to help this this American Western businessman um, succeed on his goals. <laughs> um, and and what kind of happens throughout the play is is a new uh, uh, is it showcases a new culture, a new way of doing things is forming where that sort of um, uh, superiority that that role has is going away. There's there's more opportunities for the two parties to have these awkward but more connected moments with each other to figure out each other on each other's terms. Um, so so you kind of get to see both his um, his uh, world begin to fade away, but also the cultural minister's world f- fade away too. This world of favors owed through backdoor relationships. Um, you get to see them both kind of uh, go through a sunset period where they where they are no longer the way that the world works anymore. So I think the, the, the purpose of those two characters, which kind of sunset at the same time, in fact, the scene where the cultural minister is, is arrested is tied, Peter, Peter winds up at his house in that scene. So you get to see their kind of descent from power at the same moment. So you see both uh, kind of older, or not older, but previous generation approaches to multicultural relationships uh, beginning to set as 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 another sort of cultural wave is is moving into the scene. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's really interesting to tie the character of Peter to the character of the cultural minister, which makes total sense given that scene that you mentioned at the end, that sort of going into the sunset scene that they both have. They very early in the play, they both uh, back and forth sort of sing this great. Uh, a, a Chinese opera that they both love so much. And then in that final scene they had together is the cultural minister is about to be arrested and Peter sort of hides there until they leave because he doesn't want to be associated with him. But they, they then bring, bring back up this ancient Chinese opera that they both have such affection for too. And, and the idea that they both represent sort of modes of communication, modes of Chinese politics, modes of international sort of work cross-cultural work that are are fading out are no longer as relevant as they hoped or wanted to be I, I mean I, I think that that's a really interesting reading of the character in some ways though the character of Peter is sort of like everybody else's character in this play right I mean they're at, at every at every turn at every major character that you meet in this play there is the presented character and then there's the thing that they're hiding 
And I mean, this is often true in drama that, that characters hide things from each other and there are revelation scenes where these things are, are brought to light across the course of the play. But it feels like, especially in this play, the idea that each character has this hidden motivation that no one else can see that they're playing on the whole time and where where the characters believe they know the other characters' hidden motivations and can use that to their advantage, they try to employ those tactics while still protecting their own. I mean, it's, it's hard to think of. I think, in fact, every single of the major characters in this play have a hidden motivation to their actions that's revealed both to the audience and to the other characters at some point across the course of the drama. Yeah, and, and Peters comes out relatively early. <laughs> I think in the in pretty much right away in the conversation with um with G and and Daniel, it comes out that Peter has this sort of previous relationship with the cultural minister. Um so, so you kind of start to discover more and more about his secret. He actually has like a secondary secret though, too. Like if that's if that's the first tier of his secret, that he has a previous relationship, that favors are owed, that that you know that that there's some sort of relationship with them already. The secondary secret of him not actually being like a, a cultural advisor in any sort of real role, but that he just kind of got scared when he went and like met another English teacher who couldn't find a home in either. That's a big part of his story. He can't find a home in either China or in England anymore because he has kind of spent so much of his time in both zones that neither zone really um, welcomes him in anymore. So, so he goes and visits this teacher who uh, similarly has this moment where uh, he's, he's realized that no one else is going to call him for work anymore, that he's kind of alone. And so this sort of tactic from Peter is this attempt to stay relevant, to morph into something new um, that, that he doesn't really have any experience with. Um, and, and so when that comes to light, that's an even, that's an even bigger moment <laughs> of, of kind of revelation of his secret that kind of gets pulled out of him from this, the stress and the, the kind of pressure cooker of this this relationship between uh daniel and the cultural minister yeah yes definitely he presents that he is a consultant beginning of this play and there's the revelation later on that he's not that really he's trying to use the fact that he's owed a favor and that he's going to hopefully he believes he's going to get daniel this major contract as sort of a, a stepping stone a leap into being an actual more official consultant and it's interesting that both he and daniel have sort of the same technique for hiding and disguising what they're what is really going on with their with their businesses and i sort of wonder if this is a uh not a holdover but if it if this would have been just a hair more relevant 12 years ago but the idea that they both like have a website that officially shows that that this really is an Ohio sign making business that's got offices right. and secretaries and factories. That actually is not true. We learn later in the play that's Daniel's sort of hidden motivation. The business has crashed and he's trying to revive it. His brother destroyed it, et cetera, et cetera. And Peter is the same way, right? He's made this website that says, I'm a business consultant for American firms looking to come to China. Here's all this official stuff about me. I have these official contract rates that we can, he easily tosses aside because, of course, they're they're just made up uh, on his website, right? But this idea that they front with a website and, and Daniel is always, everybody meets, have you seen our website? Have you seen right. our website? It's pretty cool. Our website's got a banner on it now. Check out our website. And it's like, well, you know... Uh, 
they're they're across the seas, right? So they can't come and visit the site where he claims the factory and the offices are. So a website is a fairly effective disguise, especially 12 years ago. But, you know, even today to some degree, right? Like I have this very official looking website that shows my offices, shows my staff, and it looks like it's all a very real business that shows my consultancy. And I can just front with that and hope that the reality is never uncovered by the other characters. Yeah, yeah, which which is there's just a, another great scene of that, like the way that re- revelations happen in this play are so so fun. Um, because because in in one of the scenes where G has come over to uh to uh, Daniel's apartment, both to kind of wrap up some of the business, but also to continue on their affair. Um, uh, he has like left the room to go get the bath ready, and she like pulls up the website and calls the number that has recently been placed on there. Um, that that says in Chinese, uh, free and fast shipping or something like that. Um, and uh, she calls the number and it rings from the pants that have been discarded by Daniel. <laughs> so it just becomes super clear that that he's running the whole thing basically himself <laughs> and trying to keep it going, um, uh, trying to keep this facade going, that it, that it has all the capacity to fulfill um, what 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 he says it can, but, but is in fact lying um, and just trying to make it by. And this revelation that his business is not what it claimed to be sort of carries a double weight in the moment, right? There is the uh, the impact it's potentially going to have that this has been uncovered on his business negotiations. But Xi also has, there's a personal investment too, because one of the reasons that she has been attracted to him, so she says, and again, this is across a language barrier, is this idea that he's like, you know, in the, in the simple way that they're able to communicate with this language barrier she says like honest person good person you know haven't been uh uh ha- just trying to do the right thing you know just trying to make this deal and i sort of wonder if that comes from from her living in this world where everything has these hidden motivations and these secrets and these backdoor relationships and daniel affronts as just like a guy who owns a business who's trying to make a deal and take care of his family um and that sort of uh straightforward reality for him that at face value doesn't seem motivated by secret connections with family members and friends uh, is is initially attractive to her. So when it is revealed that actually he does have all of these secret motivations, that he was lying, that that everything is not as straightforward as it seems, that there is a, a turn in their relationship too. Yeah, yeah. And there's actually secondary and tertiary tiers of that turn, too, because the initial discovery, uh, of course, that 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 he's just trying to, like, start this business up again after it's crashed, etc., um, gets turned around um, when he when he, like, uh, announces to or lets her in on the fact that he was at Enron and made it out because he was like secondary management and could turn on everyone um, appropriately. So um, and and so uh, so that like gets spun into, oh, he's just been the good guy the whole time sort of thing um and that that's the kind of new spin that they go on but then again it comes up that he would want to um leave his wife for her and and that's something that that also does not uh does not match up with with uh, at least G's interpretation of of how how uh what a good person would do um her interpretation is to continue keeping it a secret and never tell his wife about it so it's not like there's necessarily a moral high ground there but um but but yeah there's 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 all that kind of negotiation of that persona that that Daniel is presenting that that evolves as more and more of the truth comes out 
Absolutely, yeah. And 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 I do think that him revealing that he has this the, the, the fact that that his business is not what it seems to be, that he's not as straightforwardly presenting that he is. It does feel like in that moment, like you said, that that it, that the, the relationship was going to end there, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And he sort of saved. It's a little, you know, it's not quite Dave's Machina because he's had this all along. But the fact of getting it revealed in the moment could feel like a little bit of a... Uh, a cop out, right? Like an easy, oh, now it's going to all work out for him. Except that in David Henry Wong's incredible, clever style, the revelation of this sort of secret, shameful thing to Daniel, right? He perceives that he was involved in this scandal and it's this painful thing. He almost went to jail over it. And so he is willing to reveal that to Xi in that moment as a sort of final tactic, right? This doesn't come out of the ether. He's like, I'm just going to finally spill all my guts to you because I know that's what you've been expecting me to do all along. So let me tell you this deep and shameful thing. And of course, this play being so much about the different sorts of translations and understandings and and breakdowns and and sort of meeting at different places, what he perceives as this deep and secret and shameful thing is perceived by her and uh, like all the people that she introduces him to because of it as this really exciting, fascinating sort of uh, uh, proof that he really is a successful high roller is the word that they use yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I think like world-renowned businessman gets thrown around after he shares this this story. He's world-renowned for a company that defrauded a bunch of people, but still. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just this. It's this great like kind of. Uh, yeah, it's it's a yeah. No, I, I I like that it that it kind of is drawn out. It may be a little convenient, but it's drawn out of this moment of intense vulnerability. Um, and him like trying to lay all of his cards on the table in a kind of last ditch attempt to keep some relationship with G going and and yeah it, it winds up kind of kind of working out uh for for the situation at least to try to give him some hope of continuing the deal yeah it's it's sort of a, a nice uh thing to consider i suppose if you're a, a playwright or a writer of any sort that like if you have to introduce a convenient plot element which i do think that's a little bit your word was right that is a little bit of a convenient plot element to occur layering it in decisions made by the characters pursuing their goals and in references and reflections on the theme or the thematic question, which both of those things are true in this revelation about the scandal, is perhaps the best way to do it. The best way to solve the problem of a sort of convenient solution for your characters. Right. If it still costs something extremely care- scary for the character, um, then then the stakes are still really elevated. Even though, even though, like it all, you know, and it all worked out in the end. It didn't like like that 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 the stakes at the beginning of it still carry through the actual action of it. So uh, Lee Silverman, who who was the director for Chinglish in its original opening, and she also did Yellow Face with David Henry Huang, she talks about, you can read some real, or, or listen to some really cool interviews with her. She talks about Chinglish, and I think this is interesting, as a almost, not quite a follow-up, but a... Um, like a second, an, an interesting second pairing to M. Butterfly. And I think her point is fascinating because in both plays, you have this foreign Western businessman who comes into China and who engages in a romance with a Chinese woman, although that does not end up being the case in M. Butterfly, but that's, you know, at least ostensibly what is going on. And, um, 
there is this sort of delusion of the nature of the affection that occurs for both of these people and the idea that uh, both of these women that this foreign Western businessmen are engaged in romances for have these other allegiances to uh, Chinese political institutions. I mean, very, very real uh, uh, plays into both scripts. Yeah, yeah, no, that 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 sort of resonance between them, especially uh, like like the 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 role that G has um, uh, as as a uh, an influencer in this town, like a, a vice minister of cultural affairs, um, and and the the ambitions that she and and her husband uh, the judge have um, about uh, becoming mayor of the town and being this this uh, yeah this very influential family in in their city. Um, are are these like it is it is fascinating to view that in relationship both with M Butterfly but I think also with Golden Child because you have another really similar structure in Golden Child of this family who is who is responsible for this town is making this choice around being uh, you know engaging in in western culture or not um so so it is fascinating to kind of see those similar threads between the characters um, as as they grapple with different generations of an ongoing relationship with uh, Western encroachment or Western relationships in China. Yeah, well, I, I agree with that. However, I, let's just set aside Golden Child for just a second because the specifics of the plot between M. Butterfly and between uh, Chinglish are, are so specifically similar. Right. This um, the carrying on of a romance with a person who has ulterior motives from both angles. Right. This is true of both the Western businessmen in both scripts and the Chinese woman in both scripts. There is all of these cultural and political, you know, I guess they're barriers that are sort of in place around them. Um, and there is the question of the authenticity of the romance as well. And I actually think both scripts sort of I don't know if you'd call this a thematic point or but but in both scripts there's like this idea that the relationship that these per this person carries on the business person carries on the the i guess i guess the westerner and then butterfly is not so much a business person as a, a governmental uh, worker but regardless that that the relationship they carry on in ends up being a, a sort of a hindrance to their professional ambitions in a lot of ways um and and in in Chinglish, it sort of ends up working out for the character of Daniel, whereas, of course, in, in Butterfly, he ends up in prison. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to know both the like similar echoing themes and also the like subtle ways that it ha that it changes, that a different story is being told. Like, like certainly that um, is an aspect of it. But also you. So. So. So, yeah, uh, Daniel comes in and has this this uh, relationship that he didn't necessarily foresee. Um, he he uh, in, in, in kind of engages in the culture in that way, but ends up working out for him. Um, similarly, um, the, uh, uh she, <laughs> sorry, my stutter kicked in. She, in this play has like, has goals that, that she is, that she is kind of pushing for. And, and it's not, not the same goals as, as in M Butterfly, which is kind of espionage and trying to, uh, uh, uh yeah, in either ensnare or, or capture a part of information from this politician. Rather, this is, uh, the, the, the kind of flourishing of her, community um her her relationship and also just 
wanting to like experience romantic love again. Um, she's, she's kind of, that's been something that's been absent from her marriage for a long time. So you, so yeah, similarly, these two, the, the kind of beat of cross cultural, um, affection for each other and all of the assumptions and baggages and stereotypes that come with it, um, uh, is, is in both of those uh, relationships and those plays. And it's fascinating to see it kind of turn out in two different ways across them. Yeah, well, and, and in M. Butterfly, there's like this this idea that the whole romance, the whole relationship, right? Weren't they were together for like 20 years? Uh, was was built on this core lie, but that the 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 character of Butterfly sort of insists that the relationship that the amour was was authentic despite that. And and the the French uh, 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 worker in prison, boy, I'm struggling that I forgot his name. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. that he is sort of insists that it wasn't and then part of the play is sort of him accepting what he really felt all this stuff around the lie right and then in chinglish you get almost that what could almost end up being the same accusation right when when daniel learns that Xi's husband is the judge who would benefit from determining that the cultural minister had not acted appropriately and is going to get a big promotion he asks that question right was this all just part of this political manipulation. Um, and she, in Chinese, in one of those dramatic irony moments, says something that is reflected in the English subtitles that only the audience sees and hears because, of course, Daniel can't speak Chinese. And she says, no, this part of it, the romance, the the affection, the, the sex, the, the day, all of this stuff between us, that was just for me. That was not part of this political manipulation. So again, there's this insistence that the the romance and the affection was genuine, even a, a sort of genuine, real center connection, even while all of this manipulation and all these barriers swirl around si- outside of that. Yeah, even while the systems around them are either helping or advantaging one person or another, that these that the kind of core of the center is still real. Yeah, and even when it, it may be disadvantageous to one party or the other to continue. And in fact, that is what ends up happening to Xi and Daniel in this play, right? When he insists that he wants this to be more, he wants to tell his wife and marry her, there is a sense where she says, no, that, that would be disadvantageous to my life, what I am building here. Even though the center connection is real, that is that is not part of my plan. That is not part of what's going to happen with me moving forward. There are so many different facets of this play, so many different ways that that this play speaks into in, into issues and into uh, this 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 you know cross cultural moment and the the skills and the foibles of of communication and miscommunication. We'd love to keep talking about it. Alas, we are out of time for the podcast today, but we'd love to keep talking about this play with all of you out there in podcast land. If there's something uh, that you uh, in listening or in reading this play or having been in this play want to add, just want people to talk about the experience of engaging this play. The No Script folks are great folks to do that, whether that's with us or with anyone on our social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at No Script Podcast. We also have a Gmail, noscriptpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on any of those sites. We'd love to keep talking about Chinglish with you. 
Absolutely. If you've liked this episode or any of our other episodes, including the episodes of this theme month, of which this is now the third, and there is one more yet coming, and we have seven other themed months, I think, outside of this, and plenty more episodes besides. If you like any of that stuff, please feel free to pass us on to your family and friends. The podcast audience continues to grow, thanks in large part to your recommendations. So send them our way. They can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also like us on Facebook, and every Monday the link to the new episode will appear on our Facebook feed for you to easily click and play. Next week, we are talking about our last script in our themed month, so get excited for that. But until then, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script, the podcast. <laughs>